So today we are also beginning a new sermon series. Uh, for the next 10 weeks, we will be exploring the Ten Commandments. Now, I have to say that some of you are probably asking the question, why are we spending 10 weeks on the Ten Commandments? I know the Ten Commandments. Actually, most people do not, cannot name all the Ten Commandments to see what you can do. But I also will say this, that there is so much in here. Uh, that I think you'll be surprised at what you don't know <laughs> about the Ten Commandments. And these are just bedrock to our Christian faith and to really Western civilization. So I want to encourage you to come every week. If you miss a week, you're just going to miss the whole thing. So, <laughs> so be sure to come uh, all ten weeks because they're going to build on each other. And I think you will uh, really en enjoy it, actually. So today, what I want to do is, I, I have all the Ten Commandments listed here, but I'm not going to read all of them. I will just read the introduction and then the first commandment. And then I'm going to read a portion of scripture from the Sermon on the Mount. And in many ways, the Sermon on the Mount is Christ's commentary on the Ten Commandments. He intensifies the Ten Commandments. And if you have time, go and read Matthew chapter 5 through 7 uh, this week, and you will see that he refers back to the Ten Commandments many times, but he intensifies it. In other words, he says, they aren't, it's just not your actions, but it is your heart. And we'll get more into that uh, later. But let me pray first, and then I'll read the scriptures. God, we pray that you would teach us uh, over these next 10 weeks uh, some really important things especially relevant today, uh, as so much uh, is thrown up in the air in terms of what are our values, um, what is truth, and so many other things that often leave us feeling a little lost and our culture a little lost. We thank you for these timeless truths that we're going to look at. We pray that you would just teach us so much and that... This won't just be information, but that you will transform us through the hearing of all that we're going to talk about the next weeks. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So first from Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And here's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And then we'll go down to Matthew 6. Uh, and I'll actually begin reading about halfway down after do not worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. 
if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And here is the key verse. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Frank Cock Cope was an officer on a battleship, and he uh, wrote this for uh, the magazine of the Naval Institute Proceedings. He said he was on a ship, a battleship, one of two that were assigned to the training squadron, um, and they were on sea maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. He was serving on the lead battleship, was on watch on the bridge as night fell, and the visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain stayed on the bridge, keeping an eye on all that was going on. And shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing of the bridge reported light bearing on the starboard side. Is it steady or moving astern, the captain yelled out. Lookout replied, steady, captain, which meant that we were on a dangerous collision course with that ship. The captain called the single signalman, signal that ship. We are on a collision course. Advise you to change course 20 degrees. Back came a signal, advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain said, send. I'm a captain. Change course 20 degrees. I'm a seaman second class, came the reply. You had better change course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain was furious, and he spat out, send. I'm a battleship. Change course 20 degrees. Back came the flashing light. I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> we changed course. Can I say right at the outset of this sermon series that the Ten Commandments are like lighthouses. They are values, truths that transcend culture and time, and they are not influenced by fads and, and new ways of thinking. They have stood the test of time. You know, there are laws that you do not want to crash into or violate, because if you do, it will hurt you or me. For example, we have physical laws that we know we shouldn't violate, right? If we jump off a 10-story building, good, good things are not going to happen. You're going to hurt yourself. Or if you put your hand on a hot stove and keep it there, it's going to burn. Just as in physical laws, we don't want to violate God's laws. Because when we do, it hurts us. That's really important to know right at the outset. Cecil B. DeMille, remember the great movie Ten Commandments? <laughs> Not so great now, but at the time it was great. Uh, the special effects were, you know, revolutionary at the time, and if you go back and see it now, oh, it's not so revolutionary. 
that as he put together that movie, and I'm sure studied the Ten Commandments and, and all the rest, he said this. He said, it is impossible for us to break the law, the Ten Commandments. And this is really great. We can only break ourselves against the law. That's a lot of wisdom right there. We can only break ourselves against the law. In other words, there are some universal laws present in the world. In our country's present debate on values, sometimes you'll, you'll hear something referred to as the natural law, a term that was coined by the rationalists of the en Enlightenment. And they said, you can't break these laws or you will break yourself against these laws. And those of us who claim to be Christians believe that the laws that we shouldn't break are the revealed will of God. These Ten Commandments are a very clear revelation of the will of God for humanity. In fact, they're even beyond that. They are uh, a reflection of the very image of God. You know, they came to us 3,200 years ago when Moses received them on Mount Sinai. Or Mount Sinai. And in the 3,200 years that have passed, we have, they have been the bedrock, really, of Western civilization. They have been the foundation of our country's judicial uh, and law system. And so for the next 10 weeks, we are going to explore these commandments. Today we're going to take a look at the first one. And there's a reason why it is the first one. It is by far the most important. And all the others really flow from this. And it's very short and to the point. In fact, all of them are pretty short. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, what does that mean in very practical terms? It means that God is the number one uh, love of our life. That we worship God and God only. We give our attention, our love, our hearts to God. Another way of thinking about this is this way. You say to God, you are my Lord and my God. And I know this is a kind of old language, but this is how often we think of this. You, God, you are on the throne of my life. Or maybe, God, we're in a car. You're driving the car, and I'm the passenger. Um, I like how Jesus puts this in the passage from Matthew. He says, what we seek above all else in our lives is the will of God. That's putting God number one in our lives. The word that Jesus uses for seek really means orient, and I like this. We orient our lives around our God. So when Jesus has, says, seek first the kingdom of God, which is the will of God, what Jesus is really saying is orient your life around the will of God. You know, for many years, this was... Knowing that this is what this word means was very helpful to me because for many years I struggled with what it means to make God the number one priority in my life. And as I look back on this now, I think 
there was a reason why I didn't like that, because when we talk about priorities, we often talk about lists. And the number one thing, of number one priority is at the top of the list. And that may be true, but I think when we talk about orientation, when we talk about orienting our, God, our lives around the will of God, that's very different. Because when we talk about priorities, it's easy to kind of compartmentalize our life, isn't it? To say, here's my family life, here is my work life, and here uh, is my religious life on Sunday mornings. Well, I think what Jesus is talking about here is much more of an integrated life. I like to think of God as the hub of a wheel. That God is at the hub and all the spokes connect to God at the hub. Do you see the difference? And so when we talk about orienting our lives around God, it, it changes things. Sometimes we think, um, well, when we want to figure out priorities, this is a scenario we often go through. We, we sit down and we make our list of priorities. What do I want to see happen in my life? What do I want to do in my life? What relationships do I want to have in my life? What should I do with my money? What should I do with my time? When we orient our lives around God, the scenario is very different. What we're saying is, God, how would you want me to live my life? Do you see the difference? How do you want me to spend my time? What should I really give my passion toward? My energy? What relationships are, should be most important in my life? So we're asking God, God, guide us. Reveal your will to us about how to live life. This is what this commandment is saying. We are no longer making all the decisions for our lives, but looking for God to guide us in those decisions. That's what this first commandment says. Put God first in your life. Martin Luther, Luther said that this commandment requires that man's whole heart or woman's whole heart and confidence be placed in God alone and no one else. Now, I don't say this lightly or glibly. <laughs> like, it's really easy to do. This is a big shift in a person's life. I mean, it changes everything if you do this, right? Not easy to give up control of our lives. It's just not. We're independent. We want to control. We may release the steering wheel for a while, but then we grab it back. But here's what I would say. Over time, and this has been my experience, we come to realize that life is better. And this is one of the reasons why this series is called, uh, what is it called? <laughs> Living Life Right. I went back and forth on it. Living Life Right. Could have called it Living the Good Life. Life is best when we live it according to God's will for our life. And we learn by experience, don't we? That when we trust God with our lives, life is better. What happens when we allow God this rightful place on, on the thrones of our lives, practically, what, what happens in our lives when we place God 
at the center of our lives. I want to just list three things very quickly. The first result of putting God first in our lives may be uh, a bit surprising for us as we think about the Ten Commandments. But here it is. The first result is there is freedom when we place God at the center of our lives. You know, it's really important to go back to the very beginning of this passage to look at the verses just prior to the first commandment because they're very interesting and key and enlightening. These, this is what it says. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Then comes the commandment. Those words prior to the commandment are so important because what do they do? They tell us about who God is. It always starts with God. I am the Lord your God, and your there is in the singular. So what that means is God is a personal God. Remember, these people are trying to figure out who God is, much like we always try to figure out who God is. Well, here it is. God is a personal God and I think the other thing we learn is that God is a loving God. This is so important to see. Love comes first. Even here in the Old Testament, grace comes first. I care about you. I am freeing you from a life of slavery. Love comes first. Grace comes first. And then comes the commandment. Uh, God wants us to know first that we are loved. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again. This is so important to know. Religion says, obey, and then I'll love you. Be a good girl or boy. Then I'll love you. Gospel, the good news of Christianity says, I love you with a love that you can never imagine. I love you, now obey. You see that? So key. So important to know. We do not obey these laws to earn God's love. God says first, I am the Lord your God, a personal loving God who has acted on your behalf to give you freedom. Now, for us, same thing. God wants to free us. And in Jesus Christ, we experience a freedom that, um, that we can't experience any other way. Grace comes in the form of deliverance. And God's laws, these Ten Commandments, they're not arbitrary laws that God has set up to see if we can fulfill them or not. No, they are signposts for living life in the best way. They are given to us by a loving God who created us and wants the very best for us. You know, what's interesting about this is God has freed these people. Remember, these are people who have been under slavery. And now they're free. And they're trying to figure out, how do we live as free people? We see this over and over, right? In, in countries where there has been an authoritarian rule, 
and the people have to learn how to govern themselves. And live. Well, these commandments, God is saying, here's how you live as free people. And if you break these laws, it's going to steal your freedom, both as a people and as, uh, as individuals. Boy, when we allow God to be at the center of our lives, Number one, freedom is one of the results. You know, often we look at these laws and we think, oh, they're just going to restrict my life. It's just God trying to rip me off and steal my fun and all the rest. No. God is a good God. You know, I, um, I've told you before about this bike trip that I took for a year after... Uh, after college through Europe and the Middle East, and I actually rode from Ilat, which is at the top of the Gulf of Aqaba, down to Sharm el-Sheikh, which is at the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula. Amazing. Probably my favorite part of this trip. Right near Mount Sinai. I could see Mount Sinai as I went down this road. And there were two oases, about 40 miles apiece, apart, going down to Sharm el-Sheikh, about 120 miles altogether. And it was a great part of the trip. I remember seeing camels and you know, all kinds of things on this trip. And at that time, this was very undeveloped. I've heard now it's completely ruined with big uh, luxury hotels and all the rest. But these oases, they were just little grass huts. Beautiful. Right next to this, some of the best snorkeling and scuba diving in the world. And, I remember coming into the first one, I can't remember if it was Dahab, Dahab or Nueva, and it was at sunset, and all the little candles were flickering in these grass huts, and just like paradise. And the people who were there were primarily Northern European, Europeans, Swedes and Norwegians and Germans and all the rest, trying to escape society. And there were no laws. There was no sheriff. There was, it was pretty wild, to be honest with you. And kind of anything goes. And you would think, oh, here's freedom. Sexual freedom. Freedom to take drugs. Freedom to do whatever we want. Can I tell you, there were not many free people there. I saw a lot of depressed, searching, sad people. Not free. God gives us these, these commandments as signposts for freedom. It's a freedom document. Because when we live in, in just the wealth of God's love for us first, man, we have the freedom to fail. We have the freedom to be loved for who we are. We have the freedom to love. We have the freedom to obey, the freedom to be ourselves, to be authentic, to live honest lives because we know we are loved. It's not based on what we do or what we don't do. We have freedom from guilt, freedom from shame. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Live as free people. So first and foremost, this is a freedom document. Second thing that happens to us when we put God first in our lives, we find that we can relax a bit. We can mellow out. 
a bit. We find relief from worry and anxiety. Relief from not having to be God of our lives and control our lives and maybe the lives of other. Interesting that in the parallel New Testament passage, Jesus talks about seeking first the kingdom of God, orienting our lives around God. But before that, he talks about anxiety and worry. Jesus paints two pictures in this passage. One is of a person running around fretting about everything. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? What does the future hold for me? Uh, this is a picture of a person who is controlling their general manager of their whole life. And maybe general manager of the entire universe in their mind. They're controlling everything. Everything is up to them to run their life and often the lives of those people around them. This person looks to no other person, power beyond him or herself. The whole universe kind of weighs on their shoulders. And Jesus is basically saying, don't worry. Don't fret. Don't run around trying to control everything. Instead, do something positive. Instead, orient Orient yourself around God. Seek God's will for your life. You are not in control. You think you might be in control, but you're not. God is in control of both you and the entire universe. Trust God. You know, that's a great relief for people. I think some of the anxiety that we are experiencing in our, our world right now, there's many reasons for it. But some of that is, we think, it's all up to us. And our power. And what we can do. And as a Christian, it's very different. It's not all up to us. We have a God who loves us, and in whom we can trust. Very different way to live life. You know, I... How does this work in real life? I remember, uh, you know, I, I talk about giving a lot, specifically on tithing. God tells us to do that. The idea of giving our first 10% of our income back to God. What does that practically do in our lives? This is a very practical way of putting God first. If you want to know, how do I do it? Well, here it is. God, I trust you. I'm writing this check, the first check every month. I trust you. I hope this is what we're doing. I trust you to give me everything that I need. You know, as I have preached over this for many years, I often get letters and notes from people talking about the, just the good things that come out of that practice. And I remember getting one note from a young woman in our, in our church who was a single mom, and she said, you know, I have always struggled financially. It's always been tight just never seems like I have enough money to do what I need to do. And it was always an area of concern and worry for me. And she said, you know, I took this step of faith that you've challenged us to take and have felt a great sense of relief, a great sense of freedom. Interesting, isn't it? God says that if 
I put him first in my life. God will take care of me. I don't have to worry about it. I have sent, sensed a sense of freedom. You know, this is the same with our relationships. Tremendous sense of relief when you realize you are not God. It is a tremendous relief when we can trust God with our kids or our spouse. The third thing very quickly that I would say is we have freedom to experience power to live life right. You know, this is why many scholars believe that this first commandment is the commandment. All the others are merely consequences or commentaries on keeping the first. In other words, if God is at the center of our lives, the other nine commandments will be fulfilled in our lives. We will honor our parents. We won't make other idols. We will not lie, etc. And this is what Luther says, where the heart is right with God when we put him on the throne, and this commandment is kept, fulfillment of all the others will follow of its own accord. We receive power. We tap into God's power in our lives when God is at the center of our lives. And that's why this first commandment is so important. If we try to live this ethical life without putting God first in our lives, we will find that we lack the will and the power to carry it out. That's why this one is so key. You know, John Calvin, another reformer, once said that one of the purposes of the law is to drive us to despair. If we try to keep the law without the power of God in our lives, it will lead to despair because we will fail until we finally say, God, I can't do this. I need your power in my life to do this. I can't do it on my own. That's why when I think about people who continue to do good in the face of great adversity. How do they do it? How did Martin Luther King Jr. keep doing good when he knew, he knew, folks, all you got to do is read some of his memoirs or his books. He knew that he was going to die, be killed for what he was doing in the civil rights movement. How did he keep doing it? I believe it was the power of God in his life to do good. William Wilberforce, one of my heroes, British man who uh, ran for a prime minister in England. How did he keep doing good when, when he fought slavery in the British Empire in the 1800s? You know, he said, this is barbaric when he was part of parliament. This is immoral. We have to stop it. He lost the prime ministership because of the, his stance on slavery. For 20 years after that, he kept fighting it until almost, you know, much due to him and his efforts, slavery was abolished. How did he do that? Well, he said it was his Christian conscience and the power of God calling him to something larger than himself. First command is very clear. You shall have no other gods before me. It's very clear, but also complicated. And we will take a look at this in the weeks ahead. But I, can, I ask you to consider in your life, really, what is at the throne of your, what is at the center of your life? 
Are you experiencing the freedom that God has for you? The life that, that God, the full life that God so desires for all of us to live. To pray and to think about that. As we come to communion today, I want to give us just a minute to quietly think about where is God in your life? And to know that there is no condemnation for those in Christ. Christ said, I have not come to condemn the world, but to give you life. Consider this today as we come to communion, as we approach the table. Amen.